Voice First is here at the Alexa Conference Day 2. I'm here with Carlos, Chinzo, and Patrick. What are you guys looking forward to today? This is Sweetman for today. We got invited to present at 5 Startups Get 5 Minutes, so I'm really excited to go on stage. We practiced a lot last night. Going to just try to tell a good story for people, help them see what it is Voice is helping our customers do help them understand what our journey was up until today and what we're doing in 2019 to try to push what we're doing forward. Yesterday we had a lot of amazing talks um, and I'm expecting nothing but more, if not better talks today. Everything yesterday was amazing from smart home, consumer marketing, healthcare and storytelling. One of my favorite talks yesterday um, was a guy who had published over 600 skills and I think the most successful people on voice right now and on any platform are the ones who have executed consistently uh, and they have the results they have the massive data to be able to understand where the attention is so if you publish 600 skills you're going to be able to have a lot of data on how the customers are using the platform which is going to inform what your next step should be and how you should pivot okay so this is Junzo or Zach however you want to say it um Today I'm looking forward to interviewing this guy named Blair. Brian. No, I mean, yeah, it's Brian, sorry. Um, he's a very interesting character, interesting person who talks about this thing called intelligence amplifier and your wisdom keeper. And you guys should definitely be look out on that for that because we'll be releasing that on our someday pretty soon. And I'm pretty excited for some of the breakout sessions, especially how Alexa is changing how we order food. That's going to give us some insight into the ordering services and ordering skills. And also the exhibits. I still haven't got talked to like maybe four or five of the companies who are doing the exhibit and pretty excited to talk to them hello this is carlos um so yesterday was a great day i met some really interesting people i've heard some really interesting things um yesterday i had some really interesting conversations um in regards to voice and uh, voice localization language localization so i hope to continue some um, some conversations today in regards to um, translating some of our, our apps into some of the different languages um, also i hope to um, interview um, this lady her name is val um, she's an expert on what we call um, connected play um, so how do children especially connect with voice and play so um, look forward to that guys okay your boy RJ back on the mic um, I'm excited to talk more with the companies that are showcasing what they do um, there's a Alexa World Fair where companies that are dealing in voice and Alexa are there with booths and they explain what they do and things like that promoting so it was fun to ask them what their business model is and how they came about how were they funded how did they hire employees are they remote where do they work all these questions a business is a complicated thing and 
it's interesting to see how each company does it to get a little more data on how we could do it. This first segment is from Ben Fisher, the CEO of Magic & Co. He's talking about the future of brands on voice and the shift that we're going to see from media to a new way of connecting and immersing people on the platform of voice. Um, but also increasing stream credits generally. 
um, off of like Amazon Music and other services as well. Um, and again, though, you know, why is um, why are products so effective on voice? Well, it's cheap. Uh, it's not like building an app, right? Um, if you remember back in the days, you know, people had to hire Objective C developers. Then there's Android and Java developers, and you know, these are massive projects. Um, they go in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, some voice products could be that big, um, but generally speaking, you can get the same functionality out of voice um, that is. You know, you can do it in app, but it's 10 times cheaper and it reaches basically the same number of people. Um, and voice is increasingly on mobile. Um, and so, overall, we call this immersion. Um, we, we see brands having different touch points across many different platforms, whether it's voice, whether it's AR, um, you know, whether it's stuff on the watch and brands being present on wearables and having very functional, um, um, you know, products for people uh, that keep people in the brand. Because once somebody's in somebody's funnel, if the funnels, if, if the brand's everywhere, they'll stay in that funnel. It's very difficult to get somebody out. Right now the immersion that everybody feels is content. It's social media, it's memes, um, you know, it's audio, it's video, it's stuff that's being beamed to us all the time. Um, but we think that immersive experience would change from that and um, it'll be a product immersion. So it'll be products everywhere. Um, and people might feel a little, a little better. Um, so yeah, that's all I had today. That's all I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions if anybody has any. This next talk is from Melissa Campbell. Alexa Kids Edition is amazing to allow parents to have more control over how their kids are interacting with the Echo products. Melissa talks about the opposite side of that, the repercussions that come with allowing our children to speak with Amazon Echo products.
it's not to care for kids, it's to make money. And marketing to kids is incredibly lucrative. Children influence 1.2 trillion with a T dollars in purchases every year, and they spend nearly 100 billion dollars of their own money. Teens spend almost 200 billion. All of those markets are growing. And it's not just about the now money. Getting to kids early means the opportunity to snag a lifetime customer, one who might also pass their love of your brand onto their kids and their kids and their kids. I see also the Happy Meal. And this kind of firm birth marketing shapes all of our values. And there's a really interesting link between cultural values, advertising, and kids' well-being. So in countries with uh, cultures that are considered egalitarian, uh, which is, you know, they prioritize social justice, equality, the environment, children have higher levels of well-being than their counterparts in hierarchical countries, uh, which prioritize money and status. And that's according to the UNICEF Well-Being Index. And hierarchical countries, which prioritize money, status, also authority, they also expose kids to more advertising. Uh, so this graph, minutes per hour of ads on kids' TV, that's not how many ads kids see, that's how many ads are allowed on children's television. So this is like a cultural choice about what kind of marketing, what kind of media messages to expose children to. I think so. I and the United States, sure. it will maybe not surprise you to learn, is a hierarchical country. The logic and values of marketing are deeply embedded in our culture, including in our technology. Which brings us back to the Echo Dot Kids. So here's how one Nickelodeon executive described his excitement about Echo Dot Kids in their press release. Uh, these Alexa skills offer an exciting new arena for our audience to engage with our brand. Which seems fine, until you remember that engage with our brand means make someone want to buy something. And our audience is seven-year-olds. And I've heard people at this conference talking about uh, HBO's Westworld game on Alexa, which is really cool. Uh, and adults who play that game, we know it's an app. You know, we know it's a long one, and a fun one, and a weird one. But ultimately, we know that HBO made it because they want us to watch Westworld. Children do not know that about the SpongeBob alarm that wakes them up in the morning. They just think that SpongeBob wants them to get to school on time. So if you think again about the trust that kids have in faces and voices and familiar people and characters, a device like an Echo, which lives in their bedrooms and participates in their most intimate moments, it really feels like a friend. Alexa really feels like a friend. She's everywhere. And kids treat her like a friend. They tell her secrets, they ask her questions. They're pretty sure she's a person. They definitely think she's really smart. In one study out of the MIT Media Lab, 74% of the kids thought that Alexa, quote, always told the truth. And just yesterday, I was reading reviews for the Echo Dot Kids. I was preparing these slides. And I found one from a parent who said that their daughter cried because she thought Alexa didn't like her because Alexa wouldn't answer her questions. She was distraught. So children don't think of SpongeBob as a character. They think he's a person, even though he's very clearly a sponge. They want to get to know him. And they want to get to know Alexa, too. But the difference is that Alexa can get to know them back. So what does Alexa know about kids? It's kind of hard to say. So this is an excerpt from Amazon's children's privacy disclosure, uh, which, for the records, for any compliance nerds out there, this does not meet the legal requirements for COPPA compliance, because privacy policy is in violation of the law that regulates uh, children's data collection. And it's a little bit tough to read, uh, so I'm going to give you the highlights. Amazon could collect certain activity and device information from your child, 
they also could collect certain other types of information. And if you click through to their full privacy notice, you'll get a whole, which they encourage you to do, you will get a whole other list of information that they collect, but it's not clear whether they collect that about children or not, or what they do with it once they get it. They will definitely use your child's device and activity information. They don't say what that is, but it probably includes things like search and browsing and playing habits to make product recommendations directly to kids. And remember that to kids, Alexa is a trusted friend. I was trying to think of what the adult equivalent to this is, and I kind of think it might be a friend from high school that you haven't seen in a really long time, and you like miss them a lot, uh, and they message you on Facebook, and you're really excited for a second, and then you open the message, and they're like inviting you to their multi-level marketing like makeup party. I feel like that's the, the kind of adult equivalent. <laughs> uh, and Amazon also says that they won't serve interest-based ads to your kids if they're signed in with an Amazon child profile. But what is a personalized product recommendation if not an interest-based ad? So this language is supposed to put parents at ease, but it really intentionally misleads them. So using this privacy policy, it is next to impossible for parents to know what happens to their children's data. So like the Happy Meal, the four kids on Echo Dot Kids, the prominent, band, the prominent brands, the colorful case, the parental controls, they're also marketing tactics. They're kid-friendly as in kids like them, not as in they're good for kids. If we were designing technology that was truly for kids and not just targeted to kids, we would center their developmental needs, like privacy. Kids need privacy, including from their parents. They need space to figure out who they are, to experiment, to feel difficult feelings, to develop a sense of what's theirs and what's someone else's. But instead, Echo Dot Kids offers surveillance. And to make parents feel better about it, they offer parental controls. But these controls don't actually let parents control their kids' data. They do give parents nearly unprecedented access to their kids' private moments, but still not as much access as Amazon has. Kids need caring face-to-face -face relationships, skin contact, eye contact, full timber and resonance of a voice. These things are neurobiological. They transmit signals that allow kids' bodies to know that they're safe. But what Echo Dot Kids excitedly sells is the opportunity to not be physically present. The ability to drop in on your kids from elsewhere in the house, so you don't have to yell that dinner is ready. Routines, where automated voices, music, and lights can wake kids up or put them to bed. An audible subscription in place of a bedtime story. Even though the point of bedtime stories isn't the story, it's the relational moment. The logic of an Alexa is marketing logic. Removing friction, make it easier to talk to the machine, engage with the machine, and it favors Amazon's goal of engagement and profit, not kids' developmental need for loving presence. It's not like, an Amazon, it's like a parent's gonna buy an Echo and never look their kid in the face again, but when all of our technology makes it easier for us to be apart than it does for us to be together, we all have to work that much harder to make sure that kids are getting the connection and face time that they really need. And that doesn't serve children, and it definitely doesn't make parents' lives easier. Kids need creative, child-driven, open-ended play. It's how they learn about the world and their place in it. Teamwork, resilience, problem-solving, creativity, physics, math, language, all of this they learn as they play. Mr. Rogers said, work is, play is the work of childhood. But the Equidot Kids doesn't give you open-ended play. It gives you branded play. 
Uh, back on the web, these were called advert games. I played them a lot in my youth. I was really into the ones on postopia.com. They were just like Tetris or like mazes or just like dumb little flash games that had like little serial, uh, little serial characters. And those kinds of games directly impact kids' taste in brand preferences, which the research shows, but also I know because I ate a lot of Oreo bows, even though they were disgusting. And more than ever games, Alexa Stifles open and apply. Research shows us that when kids play as existing characters, like if they're acting out movies or television shows, they're less creative and inventive, and they're more likely to follow a pre-written storyline. Echo.Kids offers primarily pre-written storylines, an opportunity to imagine yourself in somebody else's world, but not to create your own. And related to that, kids need to be bored. Being bored is actually really, really hard for kids. Sometimes it's physically painful. But it teaches resilience and self-soothing, and it's linked to creativity and imagination. The act of making yourself unbored is a growth moment. But Echo.Kids is not for boredom, because how do you monetize it? The business model depends on engagement, and so Amazon's ad copy specifically invites kids to say, Alexa, I am bored. And Alexa will offer up a game or an activity. Maybe it'll be from one of their brand partners, which puts kids squarely back into someone else's imagination. Or maybe it'll be recommended by an algorithm. So as we saw, Amazon uses Echo.Kids to make personalized product recommendations to kids. They use what kids have done in the past, how they played, what they've liked, what they haven't liked, to make recommendations in games for games and products now. But these algorithms are not calibrated for enjoyment, pleasure, learning, growth. <clears throat> really anything about kids needs. They're calibrated to what keeps someone on a device or what they're likely to purchase. They're sticky, as in they keep kids stuck on the Alexa platform. Again, the core logic of Alexa is great for data collection and revenues. It's not great for kids. At the end of the day, the Echo.Kids is a marketing device. It takes advantage of kids' developmental vulnerabilities, not just to sell them stuff, but also to sell them the idea and practice of corporate surveillance. It embeds Amazon, a private company, whose ultimate goal is profit, into the lives of very young children who are predisposed to trust and who don't understand the complexities of data, sharing, surveillance, or advertising. It gives brands, <coughs> it gives brands unprecedented, around-the-clock, highly personalized access to children with the express purpose of building brand awareness After this quick break, Radhika Keneskar is going to talk about repealing net neutrality and its effect on Alexa and the IoT community. Then in 2018, Amazon added a browser to Echo devices where users could access YouTube. 
can show us your browser. Um, and ultimately now, Amazon sells some Google products. They still do that sell them home. Um, they sell Nest and Comcast. So although both these organizations were not obligated to sell or provide the other service, um, it still provided consumers with a slight inconvenience and um, hopefully it will happen again in the future. So an organization called Open Connectivity Foundation has recognized how important compatibility is in the future. Um, they're, a, they're a group including Samsung, Cisco, Intel, Microsoft, and 300 other companies who work together to form IoTivity And finally, we have the post day two recap and our thoughts from the Voice First team. We had a great day overall. Thanks for joining us today.
Pat. Okay, so Pat, day two of the Alexa conference. What are some things that you were thinking that we should get into? You know, we've we had a, quite a few different conversations with a few different CEOs of people who are generally successful in the voice field. But you being the CEO of Voice First, what are some things you're taking away from this so far? We had a great presentation today. We got to compete in five startups, get five minutes, where we got to present some of our ideas and then also hear back from some other CEOs how they would present what it is their businesses are doing. So I got to learn a lot from them, especially in the happy hour afterwards where we got to connect with them and have some drinks to kind of act as social lubricant. One of the things that I want to do moving forward is to present data in ways that our customers and other developers are able to see. I thought one of the companies that was very successful on stage had an API associated with their business so that in addition to them being able to provide a voice first solution to their customers, they were also able to present data with an API so that other developers can white can use their white labeled product within their own apps. So it's like feeding back into the community by allowing other people to stand on your shoulders and to see further. If I'm able to see far, it's because I am standing on the shoulders of giants. So, one, have an API and present data. Two, the conversations that I had with a lot of the people who were panel judges, there was uh, Patrick Givens from the uh, VaynerMedia team, and there was Rodrigo, cannot remember his last name, I have his card from the Alexa Fund. Mm -hmm. And so um, they both capitalized on the fact that we have partnerships with associations. So they uh, suggested, and I think is correct, that moving forward, we should partner more with the associations and have that be our model for business. We've been able to leverage the National Cleaners Association to be domain experts where they provide a lot of demand and a lot of other businesses that are able to continue to use our products. So if we can find the same one in each of the new industries that we're building out, they think that is a solid business model. They think that we've done a great job here with the voicedrycleaner.com. Voicedrycleaner.com has business and we have that partnership. If we can continue to replicate that, that's going to be a unique business model to us. Okay, so that's good to hear. Um, so, Pat, so there's that, but what are some other specifics that you're looking into possibly getting into right after this conference? I know that uh, maybe some possible partnerships um, or maybe even changing the vision of what we're doing. But, um, but yeah, Pat, what can you say in regards to this? Specific implementations, like literally as specific as I can get is I want to add AWS Poly. I want to create more brands in what we do, which means either hiring voice actors or using AWS Poly or some other service that allows us to create a brand through avatars, leveraging the multimodal experience, adding screen experiences to all of our voice first experiences, um, using the Alexa presentation languages, using cards that are available on Google Assistant and... Um, so multimodal is, is the future and context first. So multimodal, what do you mean? Multimodal, thinking about the different modes, the different modalities that someone might interact with your application. So you've got different things, like you've got a cell phone that has Google Assistant and Siri built in. You also have the modality of the car, where if you have a voice assistant in the car, you can interact with that modality. You have the Echo Dots that appear in your kitchens and in your bathrooms. You have the Echo Shows. Each of those is a different modality. Yeah, what would you say some are the what are some of the big players in mo different modalities, I guess? We learned over the course of this weekend that the biggest places that were the, the most number of users using voice devices are on Google phones, on Android phones, and also in the car. So both of those places are actually like a lot of people when they think of voice, they think of the voice speakers, they think of the Echo products, they think of the Google Home products, but actually where people are using voice services the most 
are on the phones that are already in their hands and the cars that have been voice activated for multiple years and are now being integrated with Amazon Alexa, with Google Assistant, with Siri, with Google, with uh, Android Auto, with each of these different car assistants are now voice accessible. Also, one, one of the things we, it's, it's going to be mandatory for us is to have a audio logo. And it, it, it's been talked about over the conference for, it's been two days, but almost every single person is talking about it because you have the voice of Alexa and it's just only her voice. And if she's, talk, if she's like talking about all these things we do with her only, only her voice, then how do you stand out? from all these people who are doing voice applications and everything with, uh, related to voice and Alexa. The solution is, you have your own voice logo, audio logo, and voice actors to make you stand out all from all of these people that are doing voice stuff. Okay, and um, that was Zach. I'm um, here at Voice Tech, but um, Zach, when, when you say audio logo, what do you mean there? Um, is it like an audio business card, or what do you foresee there in that realm? All right, when it's audio logo, let's say, just imagine you, just imagine about 24th, 20th, 20th century Fox. You hear that, that beginning of that, of that, of that audio that we would comes up with their logo. Think about Coca-Cola, that fizzing sound that opened up the bottle. And like, think about Golden, Mary's Golden, that, that, that lion who roars every single time at the beginning of everything. MGM. And MGM. And like, you literally, now you're thinking about it, you remember them, it's in your head. That's the audio logo that's going with their own brand, own logo, and it contributes to their, you know, everything they're doing, and they start with that, and it's like, audio logo, it's implemented, and it's engraved into your head. You can just imagine it, and you'll feel what they're, what kind of experience they give to you. Okay, so yeah, for all who don't know, um, this is Carlos from Voice First Tech. Um, yeah, it's like that idea of an audio logo, audio business card um, is, a, is a phenomenal idea. Just think about it. If you're a company, wouldn't you want something um, tangible to be the voice of your company, um, whether, that is be, whether that be a distinct voice or something other than that? I mean, with... Um, the Amazon specifically with the Amazon presentation language, um, we're able to actually show visual representation and audio representation of the people who actually work at this company, Voice First Tech, and um, to see who are the people working on these apps and what are they like and more information like that. And so I'm going to pass it on over to Samir and he's going to be able to tell us a little bit more about what he learned today here at um, Amazon Conference Day 2. Alexa. And what he built. All right. So the thing I learned the most is like when you first start to think about voice, it's a relatively new native uh, language and new platform that you have no idea where it's going, what direction it's going. And so when you first think about it, you're like, okay, well, it's cool, it's new, but like, what can I do with it, right? What what can I possibly do with my voice? Yeah, I can say, okay, on Spotify, great, I can listen to my music, but that's very limited in your understanding of what voice can do. Voice is just the most natural aspect of your your being. You talk to somebody and they they respond and you hear it and that that brings like you you think it's just a conversation, but in reality, it's you're you're getting more understanding 
than just the words that someone's saying. You're talking, you're understanding their current state of emotion or like what's going on with their mind or what they're, what they want to actually express about themselves. Like there's a lot of like un, unstated um, emotions that are there that you want to capture when you're building your voice apps. Okay. The one thing I learned from our, our conference, uh, Alexa conference 2019 is that there are so many directions that you can take with voice that you just haven't seen until somebody presents it to you. And when someone presents it with, to you and you, you realize, you get that epiphany moment where you're like, oh, this is a direction I can go in. This is a direction that I'm comfortable in. Like, everybody has a different background in terms of what they can do and what they understand. And so they can go in different directions. Myself, having a healthcare background, I, I went to all the conferences and presentations that dealt with healthcare and voice. And some of the most important things I picked up on is that voice can really have a very meaningful impact in healthcare, in terms of monitoring hemoglobin H1C uh, levels or monitoring blood pressure levels and adjusting medications that in terms of on an individual level, instead of having to go to your doctor to have them adjust the dosage of your medicine, you can have Alexa monitor your data, monitor your blood pressure, your uh, glucose level, and automatically send that data to your healthcare practitioner who can look at it and say, okay, so this is the level of medication you should be taking every day. That's something we don't have right now. That's something that like that that would like impact your compliance with your medication. A lot of a lot of individuals that are on chronic chronic medications don't comply with them because it's a hassle. It's a hassle to remember when you have to take it. It's a hassle to remember what dosage you have to take. And and if you have to constantly adjust it, it it's a pain in the ass. It really is. But if you have a device that that's very impersonal that doesn't um, that doesn't ostracize you for not taking medication or do- doesn't make you feel down about the fact that you are taking medications, then then you could just relay back the information from your health practitioner that okay these are the levels of medications you need to take and instead of telling you that this is what you need to do, it'll say okay you have to take this level of dosage for your medication at this hour. And that's it. And you don't feel bad about it because it's an impersonal uh, machine that's telling you that this is what you need to do. And you, you're, you're not feeling bad about it because it doesn't have emotion. It, I mean, it can understand emotion, but it doesn't have emotion. It doesn't have the idea or preconceived notion that, okay, the health condition you have is terrible and that you should be ostracized about it. Because let's be honest, if you're overweight, you're ostracized. If you have a me- mental health condition, you're ostracized. And that makes you less likely to take your medications or even go to the health practitioner. What is it that makes you interested in healthcare? Do you have any background where you were learning it all about healthcare or like why, why the passion? Okay. So a little bit about history about myself. Like I was actually enrolled in medical school and I went through medical school and I did all the courses and I have all this information in my head. But to be honest, I, I felt like the healthcare industry was more hampered by the politics and the uh, like the in, in insurance sort of restrictions on what you're going to get paid for or what you're going to get billed for and that didn't appeal to me that doesn't did that didn't feel to me like it was helping the individual or the population in general so i transitioned out of it and and i went into healthcare where i went into like developing applications and just computer science in general where i met patrick sweetman who 
who just blew my mind with his, with his vision about voice and how it can impact the future and how it is the platform to step onto and it will take you into a place that you haven't been to yet because just like mobile apps and just mobile platform in itself was a, a, a stepping stone, voice first is the next stepping stone towards the future. And so that is why I'm like passionate about healthcare and why I am attempting to tackle healthcare and voice together. And, and to talk, talk more about that and the finances of that, which is I'm not very good at. But in general, like you wanna develop apps that you're passionate about. And so to talk about another field that someone's passionate about, I would like to pass it on to Zach, and he'll talk about what he's passionate about. So, um, I'm, 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 I'm really passionate, passionate about this voice because of this audio, audio logo and everything about audio marketing and audio branding. Like, like, I said, like I said a few minutes ago, like when you think about Coca-Cola, just imagine the sound of fizzing and sound and you can literally taste it in your mouth it's, it's, it's engraved, in, engraved into your head and it just reminds you what that brand brings to you after you're hearing those all those audio stuff it's like it just reminds you what they're about and everything else what they're going you know, to stand for and we, 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 we have RJ from Voice First Tech and I really want to want to want to ask a few questions from him because I really observed him just connecting with a lot of different people. And so, RJ, give me some few examples of the one, some of the most like impressive that, that they gave you a big impression and that you want to actually connect with them after this conference. Who were the like, main major players for you for this conference? James from Vixen Labs was very influential. I think it comes down to people that open up and that you can ask questions. Also the CTO of Voiceify, we had a great conversation. Nick, he answered a lot of my questions about what it's like to be a CTO, what it's like to start a company, scale a company, bring on 100 employees, and then get that company ready for an exit. I think that the best thing that you can get out of a networking event or a conference is building a genu genuine human connection um, and just getting to know people. And when you get tired of talking about business and asking people, just start talking about anything that you can connect to them on a human level. So,